We're thinking about common causes. There are causes that divide Christians, and we're thinking about causes that unite Christians. Thinking about communion, community, and commission. Communion is unity that comes when followers of Christ are of one mind, when they agree on the essentials and they focus on the essentials. Community is unity that comes when followers of Christ are of one heart and they walk together. And commission is unity that comes when followers of Christ speak when with, with one mouth, when the message that they say is, is similar. And that's what we're thinking about over the next couple of weeks, commission. Um, let me tell you a story, a parable. Uh, you might have heard about a life-saving station. And here's the way it goes, on a dangerous sea coast. With shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, went out day and night, tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were, some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station, and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. And so, new boats were bought, and new crews trained, and the little life-saving sta life station grew and grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds, put better furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decoration, and there was a symbolic lifeboat in the room where club initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called the life-saving station, but they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives of all the various kinds of people, who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. Why does that happen? Uh, Paul provides us with some answers. Look what he says. Praise, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you 
a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about standing together with one heart and speaking together with one mouth. What will it take? It talks about, in the context, endurance and encouragement. Um, it's not easy to stay or sit together, to walk together and stand together. It's not easy to do. It will require endurance to stay on the path together. Endurance is the ability to remain in a place that you would rather not be. And endurance is the ability to remain in that place, even though it's objectionable, but it's necessary. It will require encouragement to stay on the path together. Encouragement is a little bit different from endurance, although they belong together. What encouragement is, it's when someone sees another person on the path struggling. They are trying to endure and stay on the path, but they're struggling to do so. And what encouragement is, is when somebody sees that person struggling, calls them alongside, and says something to them that allow them and helps them to keep on the path. And so they endure on the path together. Um, this passage calls God the God of, en of endurance and encouragement. And he gives a spirit of unity, and we'll talk about what that means. But what I want us to think about, God is called the God of endurance and encouragement. It takes endurance and encouragement to stay on the path. And those are the things that characterize God. Those are the things that he is um, good at. What it says, Paul talks about um, this in another section, at the beginning of 2 Corinthians. Here's what it says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. That word comfort is the same word. It's probably better translated encouragement. God is not just an, oh, there, there. God says things to us that allow us to stay on the path that's truly best for us. And so that's what God is good at. He's good. He's the God of endurance and compassion. He's the God of all encouragement. And what it says, who encourages us. When it says comfort, I'm going to, I'm going to translate it encourage. I think it's probably a better translation here. So it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all encouragement, who encourages us in all our troubles, so that we can encourage those in any trouble with the encouragement we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our encouragement overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your encouragement and salvation. If we are encouraged, it is for your encouragement which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. We learn a couple of things here that if you are a follower of Christ, 
a son or daughter through faith in Christ. What God is going to do, apparently, he exposes us to situations where we feel distressed, that we have to remain in places that we really would rather not remain in. But what he does when we're in that, he provides comfort, compassion, and encouragement. What happens is when God provides that encouragement and compassion, what happens is then the son or daughter of God who finds another person in a place where they're distressed channels the encouragement that they receive from God. So God encourages sons and daughters, and when sons and daughters run into other people who are having a hard time staying on the path, his sons and daughters come alongside other sons and daughters and say, let me help you on the path. Let's walk together. Uh, it's interesting. God doesn't channel his compassion and encouragement directly. But it says here, it doesn't channel it to individuals directly. What he does, he chooses those who are his followers and when his followers, they will find themselves in difficult situations. When they turn to him and receive compassion and encouragement, what happens is they then, when they are walking around in the world, find other people who might not looking to, be looking towards God. They come alongside, and the compassion and encouragement that they receive, they end up channeling to others. And that's the way God extends his compassion and encouragement to and through those who are followers. Um, difficulties aren't pleasant. They are what allows us to receive and extend compassion and encouragement. If you don't have difficulties, you really have nothing from him to give other people not compassion and encouragement. That is only experienced and extended by those who experience it. Sometimes we look at, why do I have to endure these things? It's the way that we get something that we can provide for others. Okay, how do we experience endurance and encouragement? How can we do that together? And here's what it says, back to the verse. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When it says, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourself, let me tell you what that literally means. It literally means he grants you to think the same thing. That's what it says. May the God of Endurance and encouragement grant you to think the same thing, to be of one mind, so that one mind will lead to being able to walk together with one heart and speak out with one mouth. Um, God grants the capacity to think the, the same thing. This is not nice. It seems necessary, what Jesus said, in John 17, the last prayer, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. Jesus links the church's ability to be unified with the world's ability to believe. If the church can experience and channel unity, the world is going to be in a position to be able to truly believe deeply that Jesus was here. So unity is not just nice, biblically. It's necessary. Um, this is why Paul prioritized unity and challenged unity. Um, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then he talks about what it means to walk worthy. Uh, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. There's not a stronger imperative in the Bible. It's a very strong command. Not harsh, but strong and direct. Make every effort to keep or protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit or the oneness of the Spirit. Guard it. Don't let it be taken. Once you think about what do you protect? What do you take steps to make sure it doesn't get stolen? Your property, your homes, we put up alarms and we keep vigils and we lock doors. Bank accounts? You know, some, you kind of check the balance, make sure nobody's pilfering. Investments? You know what it says us to, and what it says for us that we're to do here? It's encouraging us to guard or protect with that same intensity the oneness or unity of the Spirit. Guard it diligently. What does that mean? How? Well, let's ask a question. We know how bank accounts get taken. You know, sometimes spam comes and asks you to put in your banking information in because, you know, you ever get those spammy things and so, and you've got to know, you've got to learn, I can't provide that data, otherwise people will pill for the account. And, and so you learn, we guard against things that, because we know that there's spammers out there, scammers out there. How is it that the unity that we are to protect ends up being pilfered or disappears. Um, how do we fail to guard it? Paul, here's what Paul says. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. making a major deal about things that aren't major deals. And what ends up happening is what he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. And he goes on. Because you know they produce quarrels. You know what ends up happening? You know what ends up sacrificing unity? Quarreling. Fighting. 
battling, disagreeing about things that aren't essential things, things that are minor things, theological things, political things. And again, it's not don't have views, but understand propagating a view and creating quarrels ends up winning battles, but losing wars. The unity, we're supposed to protect it. We're supposed to guard it. And if we're going to guard unity, it's going to mean that there's going to be times where we're going to think strongly about something, and we're going to have a view, and yet we're going to have to kind of keep it to ourselves if it's not a major thing. And that's very difficult in our day because there's many things we disagree on, and we're going to disagree on them. And there's, we're not, we can't all agree about everything. There are some things we can agree on. And you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to focus on those key things enough that we speak them. We say the things that we can all say together. What are the things that we can all say together? Democrats are right. Republicans are right. Now nah, we can't all say all that together. You should have got the vaccine. You shouldn't. I don't think we can say all that together. Uh, what can we say together? It's a good question, isn't it? What can we say together? And what we're supposed to do, find those things and protect them. And if there's things that are minor things, we don't grab a quarrel if we can avoid it because that ends up allowing us to lose, causing us to use the thing that he tells us to protect. All this is very difficult. I don't, I'm not pointing a big bony finger at anyone. These are very challenging in our time, very difficult. Um, we live in a contentious time, but you know what? The church has always been contentious. It's always argued about this or that and fought about that and this. And Paul would have us um, tell us to walk away from quarrels. He would tell us to steer clear, if possible, steer clear of divisive issues. Now, again, in your, in, yeah, fine, whatever you do with there, but within a fellowship, it tells us to steer clear of them if it causes quarrels, because quarrels, we might end up winning a verbal battle, but we've sacrificed what really we're supposed to protect. Um, he would advise us to think the same thing, and we'll talk about what the message is next week. Uh, this week we're thinking about endurance and encouragement. There is an article that I included from um, some, thoughts, some thoughts from Hebrews. If you want to take that out, I'm just going to read it in closing. It's from The Base for Grace, and um, it's a little thing what about wrote on Hebrews uh, begins from taken from Hebrews three twelve through fourteen. Um, now just read it through. Follow along. Walking with God is a marathon, not a sprint. Where can we find the energy to keep going? And here it says, here's what it says in Hebrews three. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. First, Christians were Jewish. The choice to follow Christ was costly. Becoming a Christian meant automatic excommunication, eventually, from the synagogue and from the social and financial benefits it afforded. For instance, because welfare benefits were linked with synagogue life, choosing to follow Christ amounted to choosing to opt out of Social Security. In the early days, the unity the Jewish Christians experienced offset the discomfort they experienced. The communal life of the first Christians was exhilarating. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fifteen years later, though, persecutions and famines had taken a toll. Forced to flee from Jerusalem, Jewish believers suffered the loss of their neighborhood and their livelihood. They were forced to work long hours for little pay. Their decision to follow Christ was adversely impacting their children's futures. Chronic suffering had eroded their resolve. What was once a heart full of faith was turning into an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. They wanted to hang on till heaven, but their fingers were slipping. They were questioning whether the decision to follow Christ was worth it. The letter to the Hebrews directly addresses the growing discontent among these Jewish Christians. They were instructed to encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Mutual encouragement is the antidote for discouragement. If we are to keep from being hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we need a regular dose of encouragement. Without it, difficulties will foster disillusion and disencouragement and discouragement. Resentment will turn our hearts to stone and render us incapable of being responsive to God. Endurance is the mark of a follower of Christ. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence we had at first, the ability to maintain confidence in God's care in spite of evidence to the contrary is the evidence of spiritual authenticity. Mutual encouragement makes endurance possible. There is a story of a group of mountain climbers who set out early one morning to make their way to the top of a mountain. They stopped to eat and rest at a lodge located halfway up the mountain. When several members of the group readied themselves to resume the climb, others decided to stay at the lodge. At first, those who remained behind felt good about their decision. As the afternoon wore on, though, those in the lodge spent more and more time looking longingly at the went through the windows to the summit. The man who managed the lodge had witnessed the scene many times before. If he had approached the climbers as each was deciding whether to remain or to continue, and had related what he had witnessed before, that at the end of the day, they would be sorry they didn't continue to journey, that person would have been an encourager. That's what encouragement is. Someone who encourages someone to stay on the path, truly beneficial, even if the path is hard. An encourager is one who comes alongside a fellow traveler to influence him or her to keep on the path that's truly best. When the grade becomes steep and weariness sets in, 
Veering from the straight and narrow seems more and more appealing. It is sin's deceitfulness that makes us think that the best option is to give up the journey at these times, having someone hold us accountable by telling us what we are doing wrong is not what we need. We need someone who will walk alongside and help us to continue to do what's right. We need encouragement, not accountability. One of the effects of chronic need is that it polarizes people. Those able to keep climbing turn away from those who remain behind. Judging one another becomes the rule. Encouraging one another becomes the exception. God knows that we need encouragement when life's challenges take the wind out of our sails. He is the fountainhead from whom all encouragement flows. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, encouragement. God comes alongside weary travelers and provides them with the strength to walk with him. When we encourage one another, we are part of what he is doing on the planet. We are part of his provision. Let's stand for closing prayer. Yeah, we hear this stuff and, it's, and it's, it, it makes sense. It's harder to practice. I do ask that you'd help us little by little to um, be of one mind, to understand the message clearly enough to know what it is we believe, because that's the foundation of everything. The ability to endure and be encouraged comes from being of one mind. If we agree on the essentials and focus on them, this becomes a place of encouragement. And it has become. And we're all on the path. We're not perfect. This is not a perfect congregation. A perfect congregation doesn't exist. I do ask, though, would you help us to identify the things that are the major things? And would you help us to cling to them? Um, and as this happens, then we find when we believe and are of the same mind, when we think with one mind with respect to what's necessary, what the essentials are, then that gives us the ability to live with one heart and speak with one voice. Well, uh, so, thanks for uh, Paul and, and continue to do in us and through us the things that you would do. In Jesus' name, amen.